PPC LSAs are like putting up a billboard on a week-to-week billboard that you're paying for. SEO is like buying the land, putting up your own billboard. It's your property. I'm a big proponent of running all digital channels. If you're a client of ours, you're running LSAs, you're running PPC, you're in the map pack, and then you hit organic. Targeting your ideal clients and ranking number one in Google requires dynamic digital marketing strategies. As a user, if I'm typing in car accident lawyer, even if you're two or three, hopefully you're number one, you've indoctrinated that user four times by the time that they've hit organic, which massively increases the CTR. They've driven by your billboard four times before they're getting to the spot where they want to click and they recognize that name. You're listening to Personal Injury Mastermind, the show where elite personal injury attorneys and leading edge marketers give you exclusive access to growth strategies for your firm. Few people understand SEO strategy for personal injury lawyers than my boy, Stephen Willie, president at rankings.io. Stephen and the rankings team have doubled leads, triple client volume, and consistently secure first page rankings for personal injury attorneys nationwide. I'm your host, Chris Dreyer, founder and CEO of rankings.io, We help elite personal injury attorneys dominate first page rankings with search engine optimization. Being at the forefront of marketing is all about understanding people. So let's get to know our guest. Here's Stephen Willie, president at rankings.io. So 2000, probably six, 2007, I was working at a, as a web developer for a water bottle manufacturer. So I was doing sales, which I was going door, door to door saying, hey, you want to buy some water? Which is a great way of, you know, if you have a uh, inhibition about talking to people, you quickly get over that. Um, so I was producing the water, I was printing the labels, I was doing the web development, I was doing the marketing, I was doing it all. So I didn't get this SEO thing. And this was the wild west of SEO, you know, mid 2000s ish. And so I went to Barnes and Noble and I bought a book called Beginner's Guide to SEO. It's green. I can picture it still on my desk at home. Started reading that. It was basically just H1s, right? Put your H1s, then your H2s, and then your title tag or whatever. It didn't really get into heavy anything. After that, I started incorporating that into uh, my freelance game. So I was doing, I was started out as a designer. I was doing websites after websites after websites, staying up till three, four o'clock in the morning. And I would pitch myself as, oh, these are SEO optimized websites. But really, I didn't know, right? Until, uh, you know, that one dark night, Sester, Illinois in a dive bar. Uh, and you like telling the story, go ahead. Yeah, it's funny. We had a, a mutual acquaintance and we went to a birthday party. So I'm a little bit introverted and it's hard to like talk to people that you, you know, I knew who you were through acquaintances, but I'm like, oh, you know, what do you do for work? And you're like, oh, I do digital. And I'm like, oh, I do SEO. And you, you said, I do websites. We had this common interest in basically Steven started freelancing and doing website design. He was a creative director. He did a lot of stuff for, it was ABC, yep. NBC. ABC, NBC, CBS, specifically the Olympics. So a, a lot of stuff, yeah. Yeah, very experienced. And, and he was kind of, you know, side gig, side hustle, working for attorney rankings at the time, and which was the original uh, before we rebranded to rankings. And I remember I made him that offer and, you know, it, he was super nervous, but we signed, I think, five clients that first week. Six clients that week. Yeah. And to give people context, I had a secure job, was creative director at another agency, had a relatively large design team under me. We were about to have my first son within like 30 days of me quick. So I was super nervous, right? It's like, oh, did I make the right decision? Pretty sure I did. 
Um, and then that week, six clients, man. Yeah. And, you know, it's been crazy. We've just been on this, this massive growth trajectory and, and just, we've had all these different experiences and how SEO has evolved over the years yeah. and how focused we've been on SEO. Let's talk about, you know, the things that you've done through the organization, through yourself to kind of develop not only your technical hard skills, but also like your leadership and management skills as well. So I think going through starting the company and being there from day before day one, Really, it's excitement and it's chaos on that launch pad. I remember the days where you and I were working out of an office in St. Louis side by side, you know, doing all kinds of stuff. And then so a lot of that, that was a, we were thrown, I was thrown into the fire, right? So I had to scramble and continuously learn and watch videos and listen to podcasts. The podcast wasn't a real big thing back then, but there was still, you know, uh, media out there to, to kind of better me at my craft. A lot of specifically the SEO stuff, I had people like you. I had people like Brian Dean, you know, that, that I would read and then, you know, and then apply that. And it's amazing once you kind of read these things that are still kind of nebulous and tutorialish, and apply it to your craft and see, hey, it works, you know, and it registers with you and it makes you more hungry and gets that snowball effect. In regards to, you know, kind of the business and personal aspect of it, I went to school for design. I have a fine art degree. You know, I wasn't a business major. A lot of this stuff we learned on the fly, but a lot of this I got through coaching. I was in Southwestern consulting sales training. I was in, I'm in Vistage. Vistage is a group of local business people here in St. Louis. I have a group of 20 people that I meet with monthly, have one tomorrow. We discuss things, the problems that we run into. We have speakers come in. So it's a great community. I'm a relationship guy. So I like establishing that connection with people because it makes it, it's everything, the issues and the both negative and positive that they go through, I can apply to our business and it makes it more relevant. It was in COO Alliance with Cameron Harold. If you talk to me for over 30 minutes, Cameron Harold is going to get brought up. I'm a big fan of Cam Harold. COO Alliance is a group specifically for number twos. So I'm your number two, right? And there's a, it's a weird fit because it's a, it's a lonely position sometimes. Not lonely emotionally, but it's such a different position that it can't kind of relate or correlate to a lot of the other, to coworkers, to everything else. So having that outlet and seeing, hey, I went through this too, it's not unique. Everyone goes through similar issues, but they're, they may come from different locations, right? And so I can't say enough you know, good things about COO lines. EOS, we're an entrepreneurial operating system, EOS-based company. We have an implementer, James Ashcroft, who I believe you've had on the podcast, absolute stud. So as we've kind of taken that journey together, both you, our company, and me personally, learning from him, it's been a game changer. And lastly, I think, you know, here at our agency, Everyone has the opportunity for coaching and training. We have our operational people have operational coaches. Our salespeople have sales coaches. Our SEO people have SEO coaches. And I think a large portion of, you know, how I've kind of upped my game is, yeah, I have coaches. I have this personal development. But a lot of that comes from our team. If they learn something, I learn something. They tell it to me. I don't, I think it's a terrifying thing to assume that you know everything. So if I can grow you know, and help grow them, you know, certainly our employees and coworkers, but if they can help grow me, man, that's awesome. Right. It's that symbiotic relationship. That's just, it's a fantastic thing. And that's why I love working here. Yeah. And one of the things you said right at the beginning is the execution, right? You can read a lot of books. We had John Gomez on a former episode and he was talking about how there are a lot of trial books, but you have to get in the ring. You have to try cases and to be yep. great at SEO, you have to do SEO. And so because of our focus and because we specialize in SEO, that's what we're doing day in and day out. And this brings us to the next topic. 
We're going to talk about state of SEO in 2022. But before we get into that, why SEO versus other channels? It's a good question. You're building an asset, right? Any paid media is, and I love paid media. I think they, I think that they mutually paid and organic mutually benefit each other. And I'll get into that in a second. But you're you're still renting it, right? It's not yours after you stop paying. Whereas organic or SEO, there is a buildup period. You're not just turning on that faucet. Whereas PPC, turn on the faucet, cases come, right? SEO is going to take six nine months, sometimes longer, sometimes quicker if it, if everything's set up correctly. But once that faucet's turned on, that pressure's a lot more. You're going to get a lot more cases. The CTR, which is click through rate for organic results is still, even with LSAs, significantly higher than any paid media, right? Now, LSAs did take a chunk out of it, right? It is a, I have nothing bad to say about LSAs, but organic, local, and, you know, the organic SERP is still still the way to go. Establishes more trust, right? There is a subconscious level of thought within a user that the number one, number two, number three, regardless of their skill set, is best, right? Even before I started doing this stuff, I didn't, I knew what this was. I always kicked organic. And that's what we're seeing through the data of what the users still do. So my mentality about that is PPC, LSAs are like putting up a billboard on a week-to-week billboard that you're paying for. SEO is like buying the land, putting up your own billboard, and you have it. It's your property. Now, Getting into that mutualism where they all work together, I'm a big proponent of running all channels, digital channels. So if you are a if you're a client of ours, you're running LSAs, you're running PPC, you're in the map pack, and then you hit organic, right? As a user, if I'm typing in car accident lawyer, even if you're two or three, hopefully you're number one. You've indoctrinated that user four times by the time that they've hit organic, which massively increases the CTR. They've driven by your billboard four times before they're, you know, getting to the spot where they want to click and they recognize that name. And so it's, I'm, I'm a huge proponent of, of multi-channel marketing, specifically digital. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting, Stephen, you say that too. And it's, it's attribution becomes murky. People want to tie direct attribution to SEO or to pay-per-click. And it's, it's difficult because if you're building a brand you may be seen, you may be indoctrinated multiple times before you actually make a conversion. And then who actually gets the the attribution at the at the end? So, you know, I'm, I'm a big proponent as you are for omni-channel marketing. And, and not only that, you know, when you rank an organic page, you can rank for thousands of that keyword. And imagine yes. paying for thousands of click on pay-per-click. It's just, you know, those high intent phrases, we're talking about massive amounts of money. So there, there's a place for all of it. And I like that it is an asset that kind of grows over time that you got you to gotta water it with content and links. And we're going to talk about all that. So we had Mark Anajar on an earlier episode. He's, he talked about the holy trinity of marketing for law firms is TV, radio, and digital. And we're going to talk about the holy trinity of SEO, which is content, on-site SEO, and links. So let's start with content. And uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put the softball up in the air for you first. When it comes to content making an impact, when it comes to SEO, what do you think of? I think of a lot of people, let me, let me back it up because this is going to be a big answer, 
right? So content, when it comes to SEO, certainly you need keyword saturation. You need keyword density. It needs to be optimized with all, you know, it doesn't even have to be all the bells and whistles as long as it answers the user's query. Brian Dean came out with a skyscraper technique where, you know, when we started 2013, 500 works, and then it went to 1,000, and then it went to 12,000, or, you know, 1,200, and then 2,000, and 6,000, 14,000. Now, all of a sudden, 14,000 words, you're not answering the user's query. What it looks like, it's a quick, you know, 14, 20,000 words, and I've seen stuff like that big. It's like a med student's doctoral dissertation, right? When you're getting into all the granularities of how you can break a bone or have a TBI. And, and that info was great. Put cluster content out there to support that. But, you know, I don't think that as long as you focus on answering the user's query in long form, you know, at, at minimum 2,000 words, but do I think you need 20,000 words? No. Right. But I do think, you know, anywhere from two to 10,000 words uh, to specifically answer that user's query with, with good, well-written, well-thought-out content. Anything with passage ranking that came out two Decembers ago, you can kind of subdivide long-form content into specific micro-queries. So uh, uh, how to hire a car accident lawyer, uh, you know, blah, 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 blah. That can all still be on the transactional page as well as why you should hire a car accident lawyer. Here's why you should hire us specifically. This is, it's a stressful time, you know what I mean? And so as long as you're answering that user's query and your content is better, you know, and better is a subjective term, but I think everybody knows, um, than your competitors, you're good, right? And then you can, you backfill it with on-site and keyword optimization and things like that. But that's my mentality about content is answer the user's query. Rather than subscribing to a certain length of content, the content should provide value and answer consumer intent. Refreshing the existing library of content on your site is essential to a winning digital strategy. I asked Steven how to effectively leverage a content refresh. So this one I'm passionate about, man. There's very few things that have this large of an impact within a content strategy than content refreshes. So to kind of let the listeners know what a content refresh is, is you're going back in your archive. If you've had a website that's been around since 2014 and you've continually produced content since 2014, you have this massive library that you can leverage. So when you, what we call it internally is refreshing content or leveraging historic success, right? Google constantly wants you to be the most relevant. They want you to show them that you're continually trying to improve your text or, or copy or your website in general. So content refreshes do a lot of things. So let me back up and say, let me walk you through what would happen if we came, had a new client, right? So we have a new client. They've got 400 blogs. Now this is all imaginary. I'm just kind of walking you through. We're going to fill that content strategy out for you know, the next six months, depending on what we see in the gaps. We look at distracted driving. Oh, you know, we should produce a distracted driving page or blog. It has, you know, keyword search volume. Um, it does match users' intent. We can, you know, it's an informational piece. We can build links, whatever, whatever, whatever. But now, now I'm looking back in that site map, and I see that they've done eight distracted driving, you know, and they're total junk, right? It's like stuff hasn't been since 2014. None, none of those ranked, right? Maybe one did in 2016. So what I'll do is I'll take Ahrefs as a tool. It's an SEO tool that you can kind of measure success of the page through multiple factors. But I'll take all of those eight pages and I'll plug them into the tool and see what was the best page historically that Google liked. So I can see 
oh, this page had traffic in 2016. Then it started dying down, right? Had that downward slope looks like a ski slope and then it just drops off. So instead of producing a new page, I'm gonna pull that page because I already have it. That's an asset that I have. I'm going to refresh it by 15 to 30%. I'm going to change the publish date to 2021 because that's important. Like, let, let me ask you this because we've had these discussions. If you're looking something, looking something up and it's really important to you and you're stressed out and you see you're greeted with three articles and you click on the first one and that article has a post date of 2016. Do you, do you read it? No. And I can tell you this exact situation happened recently where my wife was yeah. experiencing, you know, being dizzy and nauseous and we Googled, you know, we're, we're seeing, if I see a 2016, I'm not reading that. I'm reading the 2021. For sure. And so within that, you can take that page, which the URL slug which is the permalink, has provenance. It has existed since 2016. It has age on it. It has been crawled before. It's not a new page that we're putting out there that we have to wait for the crawl or force the crawl through all these, you know, different, there's different ways you can do that we can get into, you know, another time. But we're, we're leveraging the provenance of that 2016 page. And so what we found is 15 to 30% update statistics, change the page, uh, or, you know, send an editor in there to improve the content itself, like the, the, you know, as far as from an editorial perspective, update the published date, and that's going to force a recall. And so what we found 100% of the time is that pop I was talking about at 2016 that is slowly down, it rises again. And typically, because since we're leveraging that historic value of the page, Google says, oh, we recognize this, right? We crawled this before. And then it, it, that, that traffic typically exceeds what happened in 2016 solely because we're trying, to, we're trying to show Google we're improving. And a lot of people will write, move on, write, move on, write, move on. And I wouldn't give a library of assets that, that, that you can utilize you know, all day. Yeah. And particularly in the, you hear your money, your life niche, which is legal eat, you know, uh, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. Well, if the content's been refreshed, it's it's more trustworthy. I heard a story recently, or I watched a video recently with Matt Diggity and Kyle Ruff. Kyle Ruff was talking about how he was hired by Boeing to improve their rankings. And he went in and he saw that they had a lot of great content. It just wasn't refreshed and they wasn't internally linked properly. And he did that and they automatically ranked on the first page of Google. And then Boeing fired him because he wasn't producing new content or producing links and he was upset, yeah. but, but they already had the assets. And so yeah. many of you listening who've been doing SEO for a long time, you probably got some great assets. It needs a little bit of love. They need a refresh. They need a little better in, internal linking. Maybe you plug them into a tool like, you know, Surfer SEO or Market Muse or an Ahrefs or a SEMrush to improve yeah. the keyword optimization. But a lot of times those refreshes is, is what you need to do for, for the content strategy, particularly... If you've got content that's like a guide where it uses the actual year. So we have some situations where it'll say like the ultimate guide of 2021, where you updated to a 2022, the consumer's more likely, you know, to click on that. And it's just so incredibly important. Tons of content that answers consumer intent. that's refreshed. You want to have a, a giant library that can help your consumer to keep them on your site. And let's kick over to onsite. Let's kick over yeah. to on-site. So when it comes to on-site SEO, that means optimizing the website. You hear a lot of phrases like on-page SEO, your technical SEO, your architecture, your core web vitals. What's it take to rank? What are the main impact items for on-site SEO? So 
in regards to, let's hit Core Web Vitals first, right? Core Web Vitals was developed via Lighthouse and a few years ago to establish, we've all heard FastSight. Make sure you got a FastSight. Now there was PageSpeed Insights, which kind of torqued things down, kind of muddled things. And, and it wasn't necessarily, it was a good indication of a fast, quote unquote, FastSight, but it didn't actually tell you what you were doing wrong to an extent. So where Core Vitals establishes a hard or static metric that can, Google can actually measure against. Oh, the, uh, this takes too long to load. There's too much JavaScript here. The preload here, you know, blah, 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 blah. And so we actually can see what Google is taking a look at. Now, arguably, if I were to look in at Los Angeles right now for the keyword car accident lawyer, a lot of those guys don't have the fastest sites. So there's ways to kind of overpower that via, you know, what we'll get into later. But I would say core vitals is make sure you're not loading junk, right? Slim down your site, make Sliders, it loads. Yeah. Uh, background videos. Yeah, yeah. So anything that loads like that in the background that maybe the user isn't impacted by that, even if it's like a one second load, if it does, if it's not caustic to the user, Google's still going to look at that. And so those metrics that they're, they're displaying is not, is, you shouldn't ignore them. Hop into your Google search console. They have a page experience. They, they list all of your core vitals there. That's what we look at. If something slows down, something gets a little red, something gets a little yellow, we immediately turn it green. So, and, and by doing that, there's all different types of plugins that you can use. If you've, if you've stripped your website down to the bare minimum and ripped out all the junk, but you can't get it any faster, there are plugins uh, called like Nitro Pack. Uh, Pegasus is, is a good one that you can install, do some configuration, and then it pops you up into, into what Google sees as a fast site. Building off of that, if your site is actually slow, specifically on mobile, those users are dropping, man. If you're looking something up, at least I have a bias, right? If, I, if I'm looking something up and something's taking like four or five seconds to load, I'm out because that tells me they don't care. They're not actively trying to improve. They're not actively trying to do anything. And if I'm thinking that, how much more is Google thinking that, right? And then so if you have your average user, they're not waiting that long. They're moving on. They're stressed out if they've just been on an accident. Do they want to wait six seconds for a phone number to load? No, they're going to the number two spot at that point. Easily measurable tactics like load speed will help your site climb in the ranks. However, even the fastest sites require a curated structure for Google search to crawl. I asked Steven about internal links and the role they play in elevating the ranking of a website. I look at links as like doors. So if I'm walking down a hallway and I'm reading your article, right? And we'll, uh, this is going to be a weird analogy. If I'm walking down a hallway and I see a door with the name on a car accident lawyer, I'm going to assume that behind that door, there's something about car accident lawyers, right? And so that's what a link is to me. So a link is, is a way for Google to walk down that hallway and see these doors that are labeled nice and clean for them. So they can contextually say, oh, you know what? There's car accident lawyer content behind here. Um, and they can crawl into that. What internal links is, is also a way to spread link equity or curate how Google will crawl a site. So if I have a blog page and the blog page is in a T-bone accident, it's decent content, and I have a few links on incoming links to that to that particular page, right? You use this example that links are like pipes as well, right? And I love that. I love that example. So through that page, and I have a T-bone accident, and if I don't have any internal links on that page, all of that equity from those links, all of the power or the link juice is holed up in that page. 
has nowhere to go. It has header navs and, and, and things like that, but it doesn't have any contextual links. So within that T-bone accident, I'm now going to put drop an internal link that says like car somewhere or Philadelphia car somewhere or Atlanta car somewhere. And behind that, that's a door with a label on it. I got to hit the door analogy. You take on a site and behind door number one should be car accident lawyer, but there's nothing worse than when you open the door and then you're on the motorcycle landing page. <laughs> so that's one big issue is yeah. the anchor text is not going to a relevant page. The other issue is there's no doors. So oh, you yeah. write this tremendous car accident or bottom of the funnel intent page and then there's just no doors, right? Where you have a blog, there's no internal links. Like, what are you doing? Like yeah. you need to keep them on your site. You know, you need to have these internal links to get up, keep them engaged on the other pages of your website. Yeah. If the users cannot navigate into those doors, how are you going to ask? How are you going to expect Google to? Right. Um, I mean, maybe through some back channel from another page, but you are not benefiting if you are not don't do appropriate internal link optimization. So internal links, you can do the exact match. A car, some lawyer, Chicago a car, somewhere. But then you can do like phrase match stuff, like injured in an accident. LSI-based type stuff that then kind of captures all of this, this wide uh, array of keywords. And, you know, it's basically just doors, right? With those keywords on it that all relate and kick back to that individual place. And Google reads that anchor text, right? And so that's how that they structure, that's how they structure what something is. So if, if you're walking through that door, like you just mentioned, the car somewhere, and I hit a motorcycle page, that's going to confuse the crap out of it. Me as a right. user, and imagine what Google is, and that's that's called uh, landing page. That's when landing page confusion happens, or when you're not leveraging that crawl or that link equity flow, um, which is when a inter, when a link comes in and you're flowing that juice throughout your entire site, kind of powering everything up. You can't at that point. Yeah, and this is a major issue, and I, I, we're kind of getting in the weeds here, but this is a major issue when you have multiple cities and multiple states, right? And you yes. try to internally link car accident lawyer and Google's. <laughs> ranking the wrong page, say in New Orleans, when it should be ranking maybe a different page, maybe in Baton Rouge, it's because you don't have your architecture internally links sculpted properly. You don't have those doors going to the correct locations. So New yes. Orleans PI should link, and you, know, you talk about cars, should link to New Orleans car. It's, everything should be contextual, relevant, categorized. You know, we, we hit, we're hitting this over the head with a mallet, but this is what influences UX. Uh, it helps consumers answers intent. Uh, we got to hit title tags really quick before we move on to links. So title tag, best practices. Uh, let's talk about that. Yeah. So title tag, best practices. I would do put your base slug in there, what you want to rank for. So we'll use Philadelphia car accident lawyer. And then a lot, you'll see the pipe or Philadelphia car accident attorney. Then you'll see the pipe. And then nine times out of 10, there's going to be a branded X firm, Philadelphia car accident lawyer, pipe firm name. Don't do that. You're going to rank for your name anyway. So what we've been doing lately is putting um, empathy pools in. And what I mean by empathy pools is Philadelphia car accident lawyer, we'll get you through this. Philadelphia car accident lawyer, you're on our side. Philadelphia car accident lawyer, um, we'll take care of you. We'll treat you like family. And so by dealing those empathy pools, no, you're not going to rank for keywords like we'll treat you like family, right? But what that does, what, what that impacts is assume you are in the third position. Right. Um, and you're ranking uh, Philadelphia car accident lawyer. And then you have that title tag of we'll get you through this. And that's displaying in the results. If I'm a car accident, but you have this spit to, to be clear, you have this as character amount that you can put within a title tag. Why take it up with your firm name if your firm name is going to rank for it anyway? You know what I mean? And so no by using it for your firm name, unless it's John for sure. law. 
For sure, for sure. And I think, and, and so by the, by using these empathy goals, it doesn't necessarily have an impact on organic rankings per se. But what it does do is if I'm, if I'm super stressed out, I was just in a car accident or one of my family was just in a car accident and I see blank car accident lawyer, firm name, blank car accident lawyer, firm name, blank car accident lawyer, we'll treat you like family. We'll get you through this. What am I clicking on? I'm clicking on that third result if I can see it. What that does is it impacts CTR. It's called click-through rate. It is the amount of impressions so uh, compared to the amount of clicks. So if you're getting a thousand impressions or I'm viewing your listing or your result within Google a thousand times, it is the ratio of how many times a user clicks on you compared to everyone else, right? Yep. And CTR, is an indicator for Google for to, to increase you or to increase your visibility. And so by you have the ancillary benefit of more CTR, but that CTR feeds into that ranking factor, which is going to kick you up the pipe. Right. And so um, that's something that we've been doing a lot of lately. And we've, we've had crazy results. Another thing and I'd be remiss is within the legal field, dependent on your bar, stay away from superlatives. You can't say best dependent on what your bar regulation states. Some, some bars are totally fine, right? Experts is, an, is another big one, right? And so be very careful when you're talking about modifier or when, when you get into modifiers within keywords, because it can be, it can be a, little, a slippery slope dependent on what you tag on. Yeah, you know, Nevada is a little bit more lenient than say Florida. Texas is very stringent too, but, and, and there are ways that you can you can use taglines, you can use, you know, no win, no fee. There's other ways to incorporate additional words and phrases to capture a click-through, but it's important to experiment and not to be generic, to, to be different, to automatically stand out. One last thing before we move on to link building, which I know everyone's going to want to talk or uh, hear about, is be careful using vanity or phone numbers in your titles or in your meta descriptions, because think about this. If you type in car accident lawyer, and there are the top three search results and you see a phone number and the consumer doesn't click on your website and they just call the phone number. Well, Google may not serve that result because consumers aren't engaging and interacting with it. And, and Google may think that that's not a good query or a good result for that, for that query. So it's really important. Absolutely use vanity numbers. Absolutely use phone numbers. But use them on your website. Use them on traditional media. Use them on these other external areas, but not in Google meta descriptions and not in title tags because it impacts 100%. CCR in a negative fashion. So that's the, the opposite of what not to, that's, that's what not to do. So sure. let's go to the big number three. Let's talk about link building. Let's, let's hit up, you know, what makes a good link? Um, so if I'm building a link, I look at relevancy first, right? If I am an attorney, do I want a review site for dog food? I don't. Right. That makes zero. It doesn't make any. Well, if, 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 if you can a dog bite. <laughs> yeah, that's true. If it's a dog bite, that's true. That's a bad example. You have to pay attention to the context and relevance of a link. If 90% of your links are coming from stuff that are not legal sites, you have to revisit that strategy because Google reads all of that. They can tell the relevance of that. I'm also looking at traffic and age. So there's something in the SEO world called DR or domain rating, which is an HREFS metric to um, it looks at the overall authority or power of a website, right? That can be kind of faked. I mean, it, it can. Um, so what, what I typically look at is even beyond that DR is traffic. 
if traffic is coming into a site and it's organic, healthy traffic, that shows me that it is a legitimate site that I want to link on. So I look at that relevancy. I look at, is it a legal site? Is it something that, it doesn't have to be a legal site. And the dog food example is a great one, right? If they have something specifically about, it can be a tertiary uh, or secondary site that addresses another topic that contextually can tie back into you, right? That's a really good point that, that you just dropped on us. And then I'm going to look at uh, non-sponsored content. So about a year and a half ago, Google, a year ago, maybe somewhere around that, Google came out with like non-sponsored you know, tags, right? Which immediately did, if it's essentially paid placements to be on a, uh, on, on a website. And if you have that sponsored content, you're basically throwing your money down a rat hole or you're throwing your time down a rat hole because you get no benefit off of that. Maybe a little bit, but it devalues it significantly where it is not worth your time. I'm then going to look at placement of the link, right? Ideally, any link should have a, you know, a good anchor on it, a good uh, relevant anchor, like car somewhere, injured in an accident, a branded anchor. We can get into all of the anchor stuff in, in a minute. But ideally, I'd like to have that fantastic link is above the fold. It's contextual. It can be somewhere mid-content as long as it makes sense. If it's about a totally different subject and I'm sliding in that Philadelphia car accident lawyer or New York car accident lawyer just in there and it makes zero sense, it's not going to make any sense to Google. So that's what I mean by placement. And there's a lot of other metrics, but I think those are the big ones, you know, the big ones that I look at. Yeah. And so authority, you want a healthy, you want a, a link from a healthy site. If a site's linking yes. to, you know, gambling and, and uh, you know, porn related sites, you don't want to be in yes. the same neighborhood, right? You want it to yes. be in a good neighborhood that Google favors that site. That's where the organic traffic comes in. Also the, the anchor text, which I, I, I kind of want to, I don't know how heavy I want to hit the anchor text thing, but the key thing here is relevancy, right? So if you have a keyword on a, a blog article that, and it, it just doesn't make any sense, when the consumer clicks on that and they go to your website, they're immediately going to bounce. Why would they even click on that anchor? You know, if it's just not relevant. So it, it's for all those reasons, you got to pay important uh, attention to context. And let's let's get to the next one. So we hear this so often. It's like, oh, you guys just do a lot of work on the front end and then you're done, right? You fix your website, build a little blue links and then we're done. When, when can I reduce my budget? When can I do those types of things? You know, so how many links, how many links, Stephen? Like, like what's the answer? Like, where do we go here in terms of link volume? Entirely dependent on your competition. Always have more than your competition, right? If you're a new site and you have 20 links and you're like, hey, I want to get in that top spot. That top spot has 600 referring domains, and the second spot has 583. I'm going to say, hey, you need at least that much. And then we'll go in and surgically apply the big dogs, right? Links are like kind of climbing a mountain. So it is a, as you build more and more links, Google looks at that as um, you're powering up your website. You've used the analogy of votes before. So building links, and I love that analogy, but all votes, it's like the electoral college, all votes aren't equal, right? Um, and so you can have a, a low level link or 10 low level links or five low level links and one really good link. And I take that really good link all day. But the tip is, is, is to balance that act of, okay, catch up, catch up to everybody else and then come over top right? With those really heavy hitting, either local or highly relevant, high DR websites. So we look at it that way is close the gap and then build on top. And I'm not talking necessarily skyscraper 
but just to keep going. I never like pulling back. Like if you were in a race, would you, and you were winning, would you take off your shoes and then just keep running? I wouldn't keep going, yeah. man. Yeah. And I'm going to, I'm going to sound a little Grant Cardone-esque here, but, but I don't want just more links. I want 10 times as many. It's not, oh, you need to think quality links only for those SEO uh, divas listening. No, you're wrong. Because Google's algorithm will filter out and devalue links that that they think shouldn't pass equity. Do you think that Google is going to hire staff, full-time employees to go around and just a massive amount of full-time employees to scour the web to do manual actions, just, just tons of manual actions? They can't. It's not scalable. They have to use software. They're not going to hire, you know, 10 million employees to go do these manual actions. Like, sure, if you're doing enough bad shit, you may get a manual action. You may get a Google employee to, to get on their radar. But what Google's going to do, they're going to write, their algorithm devalues bad links. So many individuals listening are so worried about getting that penalty. Like they're so worried about, oh, what type of link are you building? Is it DR10? Is it DR90? The answer is yes. Yes, get them all, <laughs> right? So I'm a little bit more aggro here. I know Guy Salzakis is probably listening and said, mm, links, yes, links. Links are endorsements. That's how Google's algorithm was formed. That's how they differentiated from AOL and Yahoo back in the day as they used links to categorize the search results. You think they rebuilt the algorithm and then started using UX and core vitals as their main metric to categorize, you know, a billion or trillion page or trillions of trillions of pages? No, it's links. That's the end. That's the debate. That's the rant. It's links. That's a real good point. So look, if content is king on on-site or on-page, then links are queen, right? And we're playing a chess game, man. That queen's immensely more powerful. You know, what you brought up is, is a fantastic point. It's why, bad, it's why negative SEO doesn't really work anymore. And initially, people were terrified of it. And then they would update the disavow. Yeah. So I was sitting at a conference. Uh, it was a Chris conference two years ago. And I had a client of ours get hit by 3,000 negative links. We were a little bit worried with the spike. We were, you know, the client was, um, you know, he didn't know like what we should do. I gave him a hug. I was like, awesome. We just got 3,000 more links, right? What happened after that? We got a giant spike. So whoever hit us with some negative links, thank you. We'll continue to take more links. If you want to build links for our clients, we appreciate it. So, you know, what are you doing? You're going to try to manipulate anchor text? Come at us. Building off of that, do you remember what happened? It was all to the truck accident lawyer page. And within three weeks, we ranked number one nationwide for truck accident lawyer, which has incredible value. Yeah. It just, it's, it just blows my mind that there's a lot of bad advice out there and the advice it's, it's a lot of Dun and Kruger's, you know, overestimating their, their abilities uh, with people that don't actually apply and actually do SEO. If you're going to build a couple good links a month, guess what? You're going to be on page nine right? Just hang out on the island with the other people wanting to build good links and only. No, for sure. And we've always been a volume-based company, but at the same time, within that volume, we have an immense focus on quality as well. Oh yeah. And so it is, it's a, it's a nice amalgamation of both avenues, you know, and, and it's been immensely successful for us. Let's, let's summarize Steven real quick, content on site and links. So content kind of give me the summary. Content answer, answer the user's query. Do really good key, uh, do really good keyword research via Search Console, via Simrush, via Ahrefs. Hop into Reddit and look what people are asking for in the legal device column. 
right? It's low volume stuff, but see what people are asking, produce content and make it good, right? On site, have a tight site, have a very clean site that doesn't go down rat holes and produce zombie pages that actually a site should not be a, when you're talking about internal links or just optimization in general, all pages of that site should be accessible for the user in Google and it should be clean, right? And then links, build a lot, build really good ones, right? And that's, you know, that'll that'll be the tagline for the day. Crafting a strategy that leverages the holy trinity of SEO effectively is a massive undertaking, especially in a field as competitive as personal injury law. Having a specialized, dedicated SEO team in your corner is what will help you set apart from the competition. I wanted to know how Steven thinks rankings measures up. I abhor hubris or arrogance, but man, I genuinely think that no one can touch us, right? We have such a stable of professionals that we have an incredible hiring process for to get that talent in the door that are constantly working for you. We specialize in personal injury. We specialize in SEO. Um, Our results are, if we could could toe-to-toe in all major metros, um, we're right there, man. So in regards to the provenance and what we've built in the past nine years, I genuinely don't believe anybody can touch us. There's so much thought that goes into someone's campaign on the back end that just people don't see. We're having these conversations internally that you and I have that are going down all of that granularity that I kept touching on, but I had to back off, you know, because that's all I want to talk about because I get so excited about SEO. We're having that conversation on the background for our clients, right? It's day to day, we're grinding, we're actively thinking about your campaign. You never go in the background. We never coast, right? If we're racing, I use that race analogy, we're not taking off our shoes for a little bit because we're feeling comfortable. We want to keep that number one spot. We want to get there and we want to keep it. For nearly 15 years, Stephen has spearheaded wildly successful multi-channel marketing campaigns for personal injury lawyers. So when we're talking the pillars of a successful SEO strategy, we're talking great content, lengthy content, a robust content library. We're talking a well-engineered site that's easy to navigate, that has a great user experience. And we're talking about links and lots of links. I'd like to thank Stephen Willey for sharing his story with us, and I hope you gained some valuable insights from the conversation. You've been listening to Personal Injury Mastermind. I'm Chris Dreyer. If you like this episode, leave us a review. We love to hear from our listeners. I'll catch you on next week's PIM with another incredible guest and all the strategies you need to master personal injury marketing. Mm-hmm.